0: Thank you for listening to Pastor Sean's Bible Study Teaching Podcast from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Sterling, Colorado. This lesson was recorded during our Wednesday night adult seminars. For more information on Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean.
1: But I'm sure people will come walking in. you awake? Are you awake? You guys awake? Ready to go? All right. Well, let's do this. Let's pray, and then um, we'll get started. Father, thank you for this time together, and Lord, I'm thankful for all the things we've been learning over the past few weeks, especially um, just the foundations of the faith, Lord, and as we compare it to other religions and other cults, Lord, it's it's been helpful for us to see just what your truth is. And so I pray that tonight you help us to do that. And, Lord, we just trust you that uh, you will be our teacher. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so this class is Foundations of the Faith in comparison to world religions and other cults. And so, we started out the first night talking about the Bible, the authority of the Bible. Um, The second night, we talked about God. Then we talked about the Trinity, and then we talked about Jesus, His being fully man and fully God. Last week, we talked about the cross, and some of you were shocked, when we talked about what the Roman Catholic view of the Mass was. I saw your faces were like, oh, that's really what they believe? And I'm like, yes, that's really what they believe. And so, tonight... We've talked about God the Father. We've talked about Jesus the Son. So who do you think we're going to talk about tonight? Holy Spirit. Okay? And a lot of times the Holy Spirit doesn't get a lot of room in Baptist churches because we're afraid of Him at times. We're, so many times people are afraid of what the Holy Spirit doesn't do that they don't learn about what He does do. And so let's turn, before we go anywhere, let's turn to Matthew 28, 19 and 20. And by the way, if you don't know what the mission is of our church... We don't have to write a mission statement. Jesus has given it to us. We don't have to form a committee and figure out what it is. We don't have to spend months and months going through a process of figuring, what are we supposed to be doing as a church? I really don't know. And it's, it's hard to figure out. Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Jesus gives us what's called the Great Commission. So Matthew 28... 19 and 20. It should be familiar to everybody. Um, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Does anybody see the Trinity there in that Great Commission? The most clear passage of the Trinity that we have in the Bible, baptizing in the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Does Jesus say we're to baptize only in the name of the Father and the Son? No, He says in the name of the Holy Spirit. So I want to review just a little bit in case you guys weren't here that first night or maybe the second night when we talked about the Trinity. But let's let's go back and retrace a little bit of our ground because I think it's always important to go back and talk about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So here's the definition. Within the one being, capital B, that is God. There exists three distinct persons, namely, who are these three distinct persons? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who are both co-equal and co-eternal. And as you can remember, there were three bedrock truths that we said the Bible teaches about the Trinity. Number one, there's only one God. He's one in essence or one in being. We don't, we don't worship a bunch of different gods, so He's one God. But number two, there are three distinct persons. The father is not the same person as the son. The son is not the same person as the spirit. They still share the same godhood. There's a heresy that treats the persons as modes or aspects of the same God, but does not view them as distinct persons. This heresy is called modalism, if you remember. It's most frequently seen in oneness Pentecostalism. Do you guys know who the biggest oneness Pentecostal Teacher is. Huge preacher. T.D. Jakes. Anybody ever heard of T.D. Jakes? Okay. The other day I was watching him on um, a, 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 I don't know, a YouTube clip, and it was kind of disturbing what he said. Here's what T.D. Jakes said. He said, a lot of businesses go out of business because they don't understand supply and demand. They put a product out. And they think that it's going to be a good product, but there's no demand. They're supplying a product, but there's no demand. And so he says, really, in corporate America, we who are the consumers, we are the ones that control the marketplace. And so, like IBM, Walmart, McDonald's, they're at the mercy of us because we're the consumer. And I'm like, where is he going with this? Then here's what he said. It's just like that with God. God is at our mercy, and He can only supply what we allow Him to give us based upon our need. Does anybody have a problem with that statement that God is at our mercy? Is God at our mercy? No, we're at His mercy. Um, so we just need to be aware that there are popular teachers out there that may have huge churches but sometimes have some weird beliefs. Um, number three... The Father, the Son, the Spirit are co-equal. They've always existed. In other words, Jesus was not created. The Holy Spirit was not created. All three have always existed in eternity past in perfect fellowship as God. So we are going to say tonight, and you guys agree with me, is the Holy Spirit God? Yes. Yes. Is the Holy Spirit the same person as Jesus? No. No. Is He the same person as the Father? No. no, no. No. But is He still God? Yes. 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 Has He always existed? Has he been created? Is he a force? Is he a person? Is he an it? Okay, good. You're great theologians. We can all go you guys you guys have got it down. You're awesome. We don't need to go any further. You guys have got the Trinity down, which is so important. Well, let's look at a few key Trinitarian verses and look at the role of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at first, first Ephesians. There's no there's only one Ephesians. Ephesians chapter one. First Ephesians. The only Ephesians. I was looking at, I don't know what I was looking at in my notes. So as you read Ephesians chapter 1, this is verses 3 through 14. It's one long, huge sentence in the original language. It's the longest sentence in the New Testament. And Paul just keeps stringing these words together. But really what you see in this passage of Scripture, and I want you guys to help me tonight, I want you guys to tell me if you see the Trinity in this passage of Scripture. And if you do, I want you to tell me what each person of the Trinity does in your salvation. Okay? All right? So we'll go slow. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stop right there. Who do you see? More specifically, the Father... And who else? Jesus the Son. Okay. At this point, we've got Jesus the Son. We've got God the Father. Okay. Blessed be... The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, grace with which He has blessed us in the beloved. That's all speaking about what the Father has done in our salvation. So, what's the Father done? He's chosen us, He's predestined us, He's loved us, He's adopted us, He's done all these wonderful things. Okay, the Father. All right, now let's see what the Son has done. Verse 7. In Him, who's the in Him talking about? The Father or Jesus? Jesus, because it goes back to the beloved there in verse 6. In Him, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us and all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of His will according to the purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to Himself in heaven and on earth. It speaks about Jesus, right? So what has Jesus done in our salvation? He's died on the cross for our sins. He's purchased us with His blood. He's showered us with grace. Okay, so at this point, have we seen the Father? Have we seen the Son? Okay, would you expect to see the Holy Spirit? Yes. So let's keep reading. Go look at verse 13. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Okay. So now we see the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee. So we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So we can say this, in our salvation, the Father is the one who planned it, Jesus is the one who accomplished it, and the Holy Spirit's the one who applies it. God planned it in eternity past. He loved us in eternity past. He chose us in eternity past. He he predestined us in eternity past. But in time, Jesus came in the flesh, and Jesus died on the cross. He accomplished. You know what? I may not. He accomplished it. Um, Sorry about that. Um, It didn't look right. He accomplished it. (laughs) And in another point in time, the Holy Spirit Applied it. So what does it say? When you believed, what does it say in verse 13? When you heard the word of truth and gospel and believed in him, that moment when you believed, when you trusted in Christ for salvation, what did the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit came. He opened your eyes. He caused you to be born again. He gave you the gift of faith. He he sealed you for the day of redemption. So the Holy Spirit, you would not be saved without the Holy Spirit. Think about it. God the Father chose you and Jesus died for you, but without the Holy Spirit, none of that would be yours. You would not have salvation without the Holy Spirit applying the work of God the Father and the work of Jesus Christ to you personally. So everybody that's here that's saved, that has a relationship with Jesus, you have that relationship because the Holy Spirit is the one that brought it about. So He's indispensable to your salvation. All right, let's look at another passage that speaks about all three persons of the Trinity. This is 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus. Okay, do we see Jesus there? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, it's interesting the words that are used with each person of the Trinity. There's grace with Jesus... There's love with the Father, and what word is there with the um, the Holy Spirit? Fellowship, which really means partnership. So if you think about what this passage is teaching, it teaches that the Holy Spirit is the one that brings us into fellowship with the Father through the Son. So you would not have fellowship with God the Father. You would not have a relationship with Jesus Christ unless the Holy Spirit was the one who brought you into that fellowship. Okay? So it's a beautiful verse about the Trinity. Also, let's look at Ephesians 2.18. For through Him, that's Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So who do we have access to? The Father. How do we get that access? Through Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But how does that happen? Through the one Spirit. So what I'm trying to show you guys is that we would not have a relationship with God the Father or Jesus unless the Holy Spirit is the one that brings us into that relationship. And he does that in our salvation and continues to do that in our sanctification. So the question is, who is the one? Who brings us to God the Father when we trust Christ? It's the Holy Spirit. We have access. This word means that we have a rightful introduction to the King. And it comes through the Spirit who unites us to Christ and subsequently unites us to the Father. We have another passage, Ephesians chapter 4, 4 through 6. There's one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So you've got one God and Father, you've got one Lord Jesus, and you've got one Spirit. You also have all three verse, or all three persons of the Trinity. So if somebody comes to you, and I'm just going to remind you of this, if somebody comes to you and says, the Bible doesn't teach the Trinity, <clears throat> can you find the word Trinity in a concordance? No. You can't look up in the back of your Bible and look up the word Trinity or on a Bible program because the word Trinity is a Latin word that explains this truth. But does the Bible teach one God, three distinct persons, co-equal, co-eternal? Yes, it does. Now, let me give you a definition here from, um, or a statement from John Owen. I like John Owen. He's an old Puritan from the 1500s, 1600s. that wrote a book called The Holy Spirit. He said this, There is no good thing or no good that we receive from God but is brought to us and wrought in us by the Holy Spirit. Nor is, there in any, nor is there in us any good towards God, any faith, love, obedience to His will, but that we were enabled to do by the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying is everything that we get from God is because of the Holy Spirit, everything we give back to God. Is because of the Holy Spirit. So we need the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about the Holy Spirit's personal attributes as God. And maybe you've never thought about this before, but as a person, as a divine person, he has understanding and wisdom. 1 Corinthians 2.10 through 12 whoops, says... Anybody here want to say, I can read God's mind? No. Can the Holy Spirit? Yes, because He's God. He searches the deep things of God. He knows those things of God. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He gives us understanding. So when you sit down and read your Bible, the only way you can understand what you're reading is because the Holy Spirit is doing something. Here's what he's doing. Okay, it got real dark in here, right? What happens when I turn the light bulb on? What do we call that? Illumination. Illumination. (laughs) The lights come on. What the Holy Spirit does is he illuminates the Bible. In other words, in our dark and cloudy, confused mind that's dark, he comes and turns the light switch on so that we can understand truth. That doesn't mean we're always going to understand truth every time we read the Bible. Have you guys come across things in the Bible where you're like, now, wait a minute. Who's Joe Benedad, And what's, has, you know, what's all this stuff that I'm reading here? Yeah, there's some things that are harder to understand, but, but if you really seriously read and pray for discernment and pray for illumination, through time, the Holy Spirit will do that. It's not just for the experts. You can try this at home, okay? It's not just for pastors. You can actually read your Bible at home, and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand it. Okay, so he has personal wisdom and understanding the deep things of God. He also acts according to his own will. He's sovereign. When it comes to spiritual gifts, who determines who gets what spiritual gift? 1 Corinthians twelve eleven. all these, talking about spiritual gifts, are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. You don't choose what spiritual gift you get, the Holy Spirit does. And He decides who's going to get what spiritual gift because He sovereignly can do that. He sovereignly has power and will. He also has power. Ephesians 3.16, according to the riches of His glory that He might grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. When we talk about the power of God... In the life of a Christian, how does that power come to you? It comes to you through the Holy Spirit. Who lives in you? The Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Holy Spirit lives in you. Okay. He also teaches. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But this is an encouraging verse. <laughs> Jesus says in Luke 12, 11 through 12, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and authorities, do not be anxious about what you should do. How you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Anybody ever been in a witnessing situation and you're like a little nervous? You're not sure what you're supposed to say? And you're like, dear Lord, give me the words to say. Well, the Holy Spirit answers that prayer and guess what He does? In that moment, He gives you the words that you ought to say. So he can teach you, he can give you power, he can give you utterance in those moments to be able to give a verbal witness. This is also an interesting thing he does. He sovereignly calls people to service or to ministry. I personally believe that the reason I'm in the ministry, the reason I'm a pastor, is I didn't sign up for this. The Holy Spirit signed me up for this. Okay. The Holy Spirit called me to this. And this is what he did in the early church. Acts 13, 2-4. They're praying there in the church in Antioch. Barnabas is probably the senior pastor. Paul's probably the, the resident theologian. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. What is the Holy Spirit going to say to them? Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work, the ministry, the mission endeavor to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So who called Paul and Barnabas to ministry? Holy Spirit called them. Holy Spirit sent them. The Holy Spirit appointed them. The Holy Spirit is the one that calls people to to service, to ministry. Now here's something that we need to talk about. I don't know, I want to go into a lot of detail, but he can be resisted up to a point. <laughs> okay. um, Stephen, at the end of his speech in Acts, he's preaching this long message, and he's basically like letting these Pharisees have it. And he says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. You always resist. So people can resist the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me ask you a theological question. If it's your time to be saved, can you resist? Or will the Holy Spirit cut through your resistance and overcome that and bring you to himself? Who are we to thwart God's plan? Okay. Yeah. That's a great answer. That's what Job said. Who can thwart God's plan? Yeah, so you can, people, some people say, well, I don't believe, you know, the Bible teaches you can resist the Holy Spirit. People resist the Holy Spirit all the time. But when it comes your time to get saved, you cannot resist. He will ensure that you get saved. Um, And he can be grieved. This This is an interesting one. Does a force grieve? Does an it grieve? A person grieves. What does it mean to grieve? Sorrow. To be sad, to be sorrowed, to be to, to have some, some sorrow, some angst, some, some, some sadness. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And if you read the rest of that passage, what grieves the Holy Spirit is when Christians don't act like Christians and they treat each other bad and they start backstabbing and gossiping and not forgiving one another. Have you ever stopped and thought about when you sin not only are you breaking God the Father's law and not only are you breaking Jesus' lordship and what he did for you on the cross but when you sin you're also grieving the very Holy Spirit of God. We don't often think about God getting sad at our sin but it says here in the scriptures that The Holy Spirit can be grieved when we sin. So, what I want to hammer into our heads tonight is this. It becomes very important. According to Scripture, the Holy Spirit is not just some divine force or energy or anointing or something impersonable. No, He is a holy, intelligent person. Don't ever think of the Holy Spirit as an it. He's not an it. Now, I don't have this in your notes, but what do the Mormons believe about the Holy Spirit? He's not God. He's not a person. He's an it. He's a force sent out to kind of do some things that God wants it to do. What do Jehovah's Witnesses believe about it? Do Jehovah's Witnesses even believe the Trinity? No, they, they call the Trinity the three-headed monster. Okay, so they, they only believe that Jehovah is, they only believe the Father is really God. Jesus was created. He's Michael the Archangel. And the Holy Spirit is not a person. It's also an it, a force. Okay, so let me ask you a question. As a Christian, do you want an it living in you? Or do you want a living person in you that's going to help you? I would prefer a person than an it. Listen to what John MacArthur says. The Holy Spirit is not a mystical power. He's a person just as Jesus is a person. He's not a floating fog or some kind of ghost-like emanation. It's unfortunate that the translators of the King James Version use the term ghost instead of spirit. For generations, people have had the idea that the Holy Spirit is an apparition, something like Casper the Friendly Ghost the 1950s and 60s comic book and cartoon character, but he's not a ghost. He's a person. Were you ever confused as a kid with the word Holy Ghost? Did you guys grow up with the King James where it talked about the Holy Ghost? And I was always confused. When I grew up in a Baptist church, I didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. All I knew was those churches down the street that were holy rollers, they're the ones that talked about (laughs) the Holy Spirit. We didn't. And really... It wasn't until probably like the past 15 years or so that my understanding of who the Holy Spirit and what He does has really grown Um, because there's a lot to our salvation and a lot to our sanctification that the Holy Spirit does. By the way, um, next Friday I leave to go to India and the team has asked me to teach them on the role of the Holy Spirit, specifically the fruit of the Spirit and how the Holy Spirit helps in teams. So I'm going to be doing um, probably 9 to 10 hours of teaching on the the person and work of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, how the Holy Spirit helps teams, mission teams uh, do ministry. So that's kind of what I'm going to be doing for three days with them. What I want us to do is I want us to go to John because in John 14 through 16, we have some of the clearest teaching from Jesus on the role of the Holy Spirit um, this is what's called the upper room discourse. Um, during the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper, Jesus has these conversations with his disciples, and then they leave and they go across the Kidron Valley and they go into the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus to t- continues to teach them. And, and all John 14 through 16, Jesus' main point is this I am leaving. I'm no longer going to be here. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. And I'm going back up to heaven. You've been with me physically for three years. And you've got to touch me and eat with me and and learn from me. But I'm not going to be on planet earth anymore. I'm going back up. But what's going to happen? Don't freak out. Don't be scared. I'm going to send the helper to come. And so Jesus teaches them who the helper is. And defines the helper and the role of the helper, none other than the Holy Spirit. So let's look at these passages in John 14-16 through 16, where Jesus teaches on the Holy Spirit. Because this is pretty clear. Uh, John 14, 16-17. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he will dwell with you, and he will be with you. Now, let's just do, let's just do some Bible study here, okay? Actually, do me a favor. Open your Bibles to this, because I want you to maybe circle some things or highlight some things or just make some notes in your own Bible, because I think I want you to interact with the text, your own text, unless you're using an electronic Bible, and I don't know how you do that. Um, you can highlight and take notes. Yeah, you can do Yeah, I know I know you can. I'm just, I'm, I like when pastors stand up, open your Bibles or turn them on. <laughs> Swipe your finger to, or, you know, turn. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. What, is Jesus, what does Jesus call the Holy Spirit? Helper. Now, what's the difference between a helper and help? He doesn't say, I'm going to give you help. He says, I'm going to give you a helper. What's the difference between help and helper? What's what? Always there. Always there. One is, I'm going to kind of give you some help, and then I'm going to leave. One is, I'm going to give you i I'm going to kind of, I'll come help you move, but then I'm going to go back and do my own thing. I'll help you get a, like, I'll, I'll help your car get started up the, up the hill, but then I'm going to leave. I'll give you a little bit of help. What if God says, I'm going to give you a helper? Not just a little bit of help, but a person to be with you forever. So Jesus calls him the helper. Now, what is his title in verse 17? Very, very important. He is what? The spirit of truth. Now, that's very, very important. What does that mean? What's the truth that Jesus is is saying the Holy Spirit is of? Any truth? The truth of God. And how do we know the truth of God? Through the truth. Scriptures. So, is the Holy Spirit going to lead or teach or guide anybody to do anything in conflict with what the written word of God says? Absolutely not. Especially if you're Katy Perry. Did you guys read my Facebook post this week? Do you guys know who Katy Perry is? She sang at the Super Bowl. Well, she she said that God spoke to her before she was nervous before going on the Super Bowl and. Halftime show and God spoke to her and said, You're gonna be okay. Go out there and get her done. That's what she said. So I posted on all I posted on Facebook was there's so much theological confusion in our world today, I don't even know where to start. And I just posted that. And I had some people, you know, people interact, but here's my point. Number one, I'm not gonna debate whether God spoke to Katy Perry, I doubt he did. But if he did, let's just assume he did would he encourage Katy Perry to go out on national TV and sing the song, I Kissed a Girl? (laughs) Would he lead her to do anything that would be in conflict with his written word? No. And if God had spoken to her and God had led her, would there be some fruit and some godliness in her life that shows that she's walking with the Lord? So I want you to be on guard anybody in our culture can say, God told me dot, dot, dot. And whatever they end up doing after the dot, 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 if it does not line up with the written word of God, I would just say God didn't tell them that. They may have heard a voice in their head. They may have had indigestion from the burrito. Who knows what it is? But he is called the spirit of truth. And so, Everything that the Holy Spirit's going to do is going to guide us into what is written down. For a matter of fact, who wrote the Scriptures? The The Holy Spirit. He inspired the writers to actually write it down so he knows what the written Word of God is because he did it. And his job is to guide us into, he's always going to be pushing us back to what the written Word of God says. So if you have any movement or any denomination or any group or any church that's quote-unquote spirit-filled or or, are very much on the spirit but they're way off the rails as far as what the bible teaches can you truly say they're of the holy spirit not according to the holy spirit's own definition that jesus gives okay so he is our helper he's the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him you know him for he will what he will dwell with you and will be in you what does that mean he will dwell with you and be in you what does dwell mean live, live. where's he going to live in you. in you that's that's new because in the old testament what did the holy spirit did the holy spirit ever live inside of people he, he came upon people like kings and prophets and he empowered people, but, but really this is a new teaching that Jesus gives that the Holy Spirit is not just going to come upon you, he's going to live inside you. For how long? He will live inside of you for forever. Jesus says that in another place. So let's go on to our next passage. You can look in your own Bible, um, John 14, 26. But the helper, the helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. So what is the goal of the Holy Spirit here to get into do? He's, he's a teacher. And what's He specifically going to teach them? All things that I have said to you. The Scriptures, the Word of God. He's going to guide us in truth. He's the spirit of truth. He's going to teach us. He's the helper. Okay? Turn to John 15, 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth. Okay, we have it a second time. Spirit of truth. Who proceeds from the Father, he will what? Bear witness about me. So, what's the job of the Holy Spirit? To point people to Jesus. It's amazing what the Holy Spirit does. Really, when you boil it down, the Holy Spirit is to point us to the written Word of God, and the Holy Spirit is to point us to Jesus. Where else would you want to go besides Jesus and the written Word of God? And it's the Holy Spirit inside of us that's teaching us and leading us and pointing us to Jesus. Um, John 16, 7-8. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send Him to you. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So what's another role of the Holy Spirit? To bring conviction of sin. How did you know that you needed Jesus as Savior? You came under conviction. How did you know sin was sin? How did you know that what you were doing was wrong? How did you know that if you didn't repent, you'd go to hell? Well, yeah, probably a pastor told you that or a parent told you that or you read it in the Bible, but the Holy Spirit took the written word and He put it deep into your heart to say, Whoa, I personally am guilty and I need to repent. He convicts. He's the one that convicts the world of sin. John 16, 13 through 14. When the spirit of truth, how many times has Jesus said it? Like 3 times. When the spirit of truth comes, what's he going to do? He's going to guide you, teach you, lead you into what? All the truth, the written word of God. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What's the role of the Holy Spirit also to glorify Jesus? To shine the light on Jesus, to to let our eyes be focused on Jesus. So he's the Holy Spirit, he's the Spirit of truth, he's the helper. Now, what's the word Jesus has been using over and over and over again besides Spirit of truth? When the helper. Now, your translation may use a different word. What are the different words? Do some of you have counselor? Do some of you have comforter? Do some of you have advocate? It's all the same Greek word. It's the Greek word Parakletos. What does it actually mean that the Holy Spirit is our Helper? What does it mean? The, the Greek word there, and different translations have translated it a little bit differently. But it's it's the ESV says Helper. I think it was NIV have Counselor. And then what does the King James have Comforter? And then what's the is anyone have an Advocate? Yeah. Advocate is that the New American Standard or New, uh, something? So, so it's it's all the same, but here's here's the interesting thing about this word. This word has rich meaning, and here's what this word means when you take it all together. When you take the, how this word's used in the New Testament, how it's used of the Holy Spirit. Here's how this what this word means: one who's called to come to your aid, one who brings help. That's why the ESV translates it a helper, one who brings help. One who's called to the front of battle to help the struggling troops. So in the ancient days, if the troops were struggling at the front, what would they do? They would send reinforcements from the back to come up and help. Think about what the Holy Spirit does. When you're struggling in the battle, what does he do? He comes from behind and gets out front and leads the charge. It means one who's an encourager. It also has the the idea of encouraging So he's a helper, he's an encourager, he's a battle fighter. One who's a comforter, he comforts, he consoles. He works deeply in our hearts to bring us encouragement, comfort. And it also means one who serves as a legal advocate in a court of law. That's what that word means. So let's just um, recap Jesus' teaching here. As the sent helper... The Holy Spirit comes to our aid. He encourages us. He comforts us and intercedes for us by living in us always. Just stop for a moment right there. Can the Holy Spirit be taken away from you? Why? Okay, why? I'm not going to get you off the hook. Okay. Okay. So how would you answer someone who says, you know what? You can lose your salvation. What do you, how do you answer that with theology of the Holy Spirit? What did we say in Ephesians 1.13? He is the promised Holy Spirit who has sealed us until the day of redemption. Paul says he's the down payment, which means what? When you put a down payment, what does that mean? You own it, but you don't have the fullness of it yet. For example, what's a mortgage? Do you, everybody here that has a mortgage, you own your home, right? Well, sort of. <laughs> you own your home, but the bank owns your home. Right. Okay. And you had to put a down payment to, to say, I'm, I'm serious about paying for this home. And I pay monthly mortgage payments, and one day it's going to get paid off. But it's still yours. In a sense, in our salvation, the Holy Spirit's like the down payment and the mortgage guaranteeing that when we die, we're going to get heaven. And if He were to be taken away from us, that would mean somehow He would cease to exist. And can God cease to exist? No. And does God ever promise to take His presence from us if we're truly His? No, so we can't. The Holy Spirit's going to live in us forever. Jesus even says that. He will live in you forever. Do we take Jesus' word seriously? He lives in us forever. Uh, I'm just joking. He'll live with you for like, you know, until you start sinning really bad, then he's going to get away from you because he can't stand to be in the same place as you. No, that's not what Jesus says. He will live in you forever. He will reveal and teach Christ's truth through us through the written word. I can't stress that enough. I'm going to start preaching here in a minute and it's going to get dangerous. So we got to. He testifies about Christ's person and work. He reminds us of the beauties of Jesus in His cross and resurrection. And He's always glorifying Jesus and fixing our eyes upon Him. He's drawing our attention to the majesty of Christ so that we will worship Him. Okay, so let's let's just be good theologians in here, foundations of the faith. And we'll just ask it again. Is the Holy Spirit a divine person? Has He always existed? Is He God? Is He the same person as the Father? Is He the same person as Jesus? Okay, does he, ha- is he in it? No, no. He's, he's a person, right? Okay, is he sovereign? Yes. Does he have a will? Yes. Okay. Can he be, I'm um, grieved? Yes. Okay. All right. Now, Mormons believe he's a force. Jehovah's Witnesses believe he's a force. So I'm not going to spend much time on that because they don't, that's all they believe. What I want to spend time on tonight is something that is overtaking America by leaps and bounds that if you turn on TBN or any of the Christian stations, especially 368 and all that up there on DirecTVville, if you have DirecTV, I don't know what it is on cable. I know DirecTV, it's like 360, like 360 to 378, all like God TV, um, Daystar, TBN, Church Channel. Um, I don't even know what all of them are. Let's say there's like 15, 20 of them. You're going to find what's called the Word, Faith, movement and I will call it the heretical word faith movement they do not understand I'm not going to go into all that they teach tonight because there's some wacky things but they do not have a proper understanding of the role of the Holy Spirit as a matter of fact I wish I would have brought a video of this oh let's say in the 70s people were getting slain in the Spirit. What is being slain in the Spirit? Like, like just fall down and get fall backwards. Okay. In the 80s with the Toronto blessing in the Pensacola outpouring, people were barking like dogs in the Spirit. Okay. I don't know if you remember that. If you've seen the video, you, I can go to YouTube and just type in Laughing Revival Barking Like Dogs and they, this lady's walking around on a leash in a worship service and barking like a dog and people are going, okay. In the 90s, there was a movement called Vomiting in the Spirit where people would vomit on stage and the Holy Spirit would induce them to vomit. Now it's getting stoned or toked on the Spirit. And so you have these guys that stand up and act like they're stoned and they get up to preach and they're like, you know, they're stoned in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's taking them over. Uh, Go look up a guy named John Crowder. So what do some of these people believe about the Holy Spirit? This is the big thing for the word faith movement. Faith is a force. May the force be with you. May the faith be with you. Is Does the Bible teach that faith is a substance that we can throw around? What's the most important thing about the Bible? It's not necessarily... Faith is a substance, but it's who our faith is in. Our faith is in Christ, but they see faith as a force. Now, one of the biggest teachers of this is Kenneth Copeland and Benny Hinn. Those names should be familiar to you. Kenneth Copeland says this, God used words when He created the heavens and the earth. Each time God spoke, He released His faith. Halfway true, right? Did God speak when He created but did he release his faith? Does God have faith? Don't need it. Why does God need faith? But here's the argument, guys. If God created using his words, then what does that mean for us? We can create with our words the way God did. So that's why it's called the Word Faith movement. You create reality By your word. So if you speak words of blessing, God, because of the force of faith and how God has worked things in the universe, it's bound to come true. If you speak negative things, then negative things are going to come true. So you don't ever want to make a confession that I'm sick. You don't ever want to make a confession that I'm poor. And you never want to make a confession that I'm struggling. Because if you make those confessions, what's going to happen? It will come true because your words create reality. So what do you got to do? You've got to proclaim things that are going to be blessing. That's why the Word Faith teachers teach you to proclaim, I am rich. I am blessed. I am not going to be sick. I am going to have my best life now. Because if you proclaim it, it's bound to happen because that's the way God did it. God created using his faith and it happened. You create using your faith and it'll happen. Because you and I are little gods. I will tell you what they mean here in just a moment. That's what the word faith is. Anybody ever heard that or been around people that do that? This is also what Kenneth Copeland said. God cannot do anything for you apart or separate from faith. Faith is God's source of power. So God can only do what you allow him to do. They will also say that God is not sovereign over this earth. The devil is. And every time you give you know, negative confessions, you're giving more room for the devil to work. And really, God can't operate until you give him permission to do it. So prayer is giving God permission to work in the world. So when you pray, you're controlling God and giving him permission to come back and do his will. Now, what happens if things don't happen the way that you want them to happen? Who's to blame? Either God or you. You're not going to blame God because nobody wants to blame God. So who gets blamed? You did not have enough faith. So you need to up the ante on your faith. Your mom wouldn't have died if you would have had enough faith. You wouldn't be having cancer if you just had enough faith. You must not be positively confessing and creating faith. You would be in a better situation if you gave words and sowed a seed into my ministry so that I can speak words of faith on you. See how the televangelists get rich? Give to me. If you don't have the faith, if you just have the faith of a mustard seed, sow your seed into my ministry because I'm the anointed guru. I've got a direct pipeline to God. I can speak it over you, and since I'm the anointed one, it'll happen. So keep giving to me because I can speak it if you're struggling with faith. So just keep bringing the money in. Does anybody have a problem with that? I hope you do. <laughs> What's that? Keep the money flowing. Yeah, keep the money flowing. Since faith is a force, it's called the anointing. When a person can receive this, quote, electrical current of energy... And power, and you can transfer it from one person to another. Anybody, that's the biggest buzzword they use in the word faith movement, the anointing. You ever heard of Benny Hinn? Have you ever seen Benny Hinn out there throwing his white coat and telling people to get the anointing and they're all falling down? Have you seen the one where they turn it into a lightsaber and he's like they're playing the Imperial March music? You guys need to go YouTube these things. You're sheltered. Go YouTube Benny Hinn lightsaber. And it's not a joke. This is really what he does. He, he takes his white jacket off and he goes, fire on you, fire on you. You know, receive the anointing and all this kind of stuff. And for them, the anointing is this electrical energy that you can control and you can transfer it to people and you can come up to the front and I can dispense it to you and I can get it from somebody else. And usually a person that has, is a high-powered televangelist, he's got the anointing. So you want to go to his ministry because he's got anointing. The anointing. But they never define what... The anointing for them is some type of force that they throw around. But they want to say it's the Holy Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit a force that you throw around? <clears throat> the anointing. What, they use this term, the anointing. So I want to show you from the Bible what the anointing is because it is a biblical term. So let's turn to First John chapter. 2 verses 20 through 28 and i want to explain to you biblically what the anointing is because there's so much confusion out there when people use this term the anointing okay so first john 2 20 through 28 in the context so when we do bible study everything's about context not one verse in isolation, what comes before it, what comes after it, how does John use it in the rest of the scripture, what does it mean in its context, and so let's look at this, and what I want to do is I want to give you seven things here that the context tells us what the anointing is. So let's read 1 John 2, 20-28. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is Christ this is the antichrist who denies the father and the son no one who denies the father ha- son has the father whoever confesses the son has the father also let what you heard from the beginning abide in you if what you heard from the beginning abides in you then you too will abide in the son and in the father and this is the promise that he made to us eternal life I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you and And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. Do we see the word anointing there? What is it? He says, number one, we have an anointing from the Holy One. Verse 20, You have been anointed by the Holy One. In the original language, this is a present active, which means that you continually have it. It's not something that goes and fluctuates and comes and goes. If you are a Christian here, you have been anointed. Okay? Now, what does it mean that you've been anointed? What is it? What is the it? It's the gift of the Spirit. The gift of the Spirit. It's not, the anointing is not an it that comes and goes. It's a metaphor that John is using to say, you've been baptized into Christ, you've been saved, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, um, you've been accepted in Christ. It's not a tangible force or energy or substance that comes and goes but the very gift of having the indwelling Holy Spirit who guides us in all truth, which is given to us the moment of salvation. And the anointing that comes at salvation by being baptized in Christ through the Holy Spirit is directly related to what? Truth. Now, why do I I say truth? What did Jesus say over and over again is the Holy Spirit? He is the Spirit of truth. He's going to guide you into all truth. Anything you saw in those video clips that have anything to do with the written Word of God? No. Okay. What does he say there? What you heard from the beginning abides in you. What's he talking about? What you heard from the beginning? The message of the gospel, the truth. And it's the Word of God's abiding in you. Evidence of not having an anointing, i.e., Evidence of not being saved is that you believe in false doctrines or lies, the, the stuff of the Antichrist. You, you deny the lordship of Christ. You deny the deity of Christ. And so what's the major lie that, that you're going um, to deny or whatever? You're going to deny that Jesus is the Christ, the deity and very nature of Jesus Christ. This anointing teaches us that the truth about Jesus is in accordance with His word. And so I will say it again. Very, very important. If you don't hear anything else tonight, hear this. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit will never lead the believer in a direction that is contrary to the teachings of the written Word of God. This is that simple. No matter what you see out there in the name of the anointing, in the name of the Holy Spirit, if it does not focus on the written Word of God and upon Jesus, it's not of the Holy Spirit, no matter what people may say. What's the sad thing about it? People think that they are doing the work of the Holy Spirit. How do you grow? Do you grow by hearing a bunch of weird stuff? or how, What's the main way you grow? Through the Scripture. Through the intelligent preaching and teaching and explanation of the written Word of God where the Holy Spirit takes this written word, applies it to your heart and mind, and begins to change you from the inside out and make you glorify Jesus. Now, let's talk about little gods here for a moment. This is the bedrock of the Word of Faith movement. Because we are little gods, God would never want us to be sick, God would never want us to be poor, and God would never want us to not prosper because that's not fit for a god. Gods don't get poor, gods don't get sick, God's don't struggle. This is what Kenneth Copeland says. God's reason for creating Adam was his desire to reproduce himself. He, Adam, was not a little like God. He was not almost like God. He was not subordinate to God, even. Every Christian is a god, you don't have a God in you, you are one. That is standard word faith teaching. Creflo Dollar, T.D. Jakes, Paula White, Benny Hinn, Jesse Duplantis, all these guys. I mean, I could go, I mean, just this is what they all believe. It does. Um, you're supposed to believe in that spirit within you, but for it to be your own power, not God's power, it's splitting the kingdom. Yeah. Well, it's making you to be God. Yeah, it makes... <laughs> it- yes, Joel, Oste- Joel Osteen won't come out and say it, but that's his theology. He, he probably won't be... He won't come out and say... He won't come out and say, this is my Bible. You are all little gods, because if I were to say that, it would not make me. It would make me look like a weirdo. So here's the way I'm going to say it: You're not a victim; you're a victor, and God wants you to have your best life now. He will couch it in those types of terms. He won't go out and say you're a little god, but he will say God desires you to have your best life now. And the theology behind that is the reason why is because you are a little god. Okay, but he won't come out and say it because he knows if he says that, he'll lose an audience. Paul Crouch, who's, who's passed away, but he's the founder of TBN, Eternity Broadcast Network. One time he got on TV and he um, started, this whole controversy came out with little gods. And he got mad and looked in the camera and this is what he said. Paul Crouch, God doesn't even draw a distinction between himself and us. You know what else? That's settled then tonight. This hue and cry and controversy that has been spawned by the devil to try and bring dissension within the body of Christ that we are gods. I am a little God. I have his name. I'm one with him. I'm in covenant relation. I am a little God. Critics be gone. And Hank Hanegraaff, who spoke out against this, Paul Crouch basically said, I hope the Holy Spirit takes you out with his spiritual Uzi, you and your family. He wished, because he believes that God can... Or people can create things with their words. Who <laughs> I hate to say this, but yes. She's probably a little bit more mainstream, yeah. but she does believe that Jesus was, went to hell, that we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. She does believe that the demons tortured him in hell and then he was reborn in hell. She believes that whole thing. Um, she's in that whole line of same theology. She's a good actress. <laughs> I, I know a lot of women like Joyce Meyer. Um, I just have... A, she just rubbed me the wrong way because she, she's too masculine for me. I don't know. She just comes across real... I don't know. It's like, you know... I, I'm just saying use discernment. Um, you know, I don't want to call... You have be real careful here, Okay. There are some people who are flat-out heretics. There are some people who are borderline and should know better, and you don't know quite where they stand, and so you can't make a judgment yet. And then, then there are some followers that have no clue, and they're baby Christians. So we need to make a distinction between those that know exactly, have been have been confronted with this by other godly believers and have said, I don't care what you say, this is where I'm going. Those are heretics. There's others who say statements and maybe on their doctrinal statement, in their teachings, you're like, I can't quite say you're a heretic. You're, you're hanging around with heretics. You, don't, you, you almost sound like one, but not quite. But you're not clear on what you believe and what you don't believe, so I can't make a judgment, but you're really scaring me. There's one person I think of right now that's in that camp that I'm not going to mention publicly because you get very upset with me. And there's other people that are... Um, you may not get upset with me, but um, there's other people that are followers that listen and read books that may just not have the spiritual discernment, and they're not heretics. They're just baby Christians that need taught. There's a difference between a baby Christian and a teacher, a false teacher. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, Benny Hinn believes that the um, that each person of the Trinity has three manifestations, so there's nine in the Trinity. The Father has three, the Son has three, and the Holy Spirit has three. This is what he says. It's in his book, Good Morning, Holy Spirit, which was like a a big sell back in the 80s. Is what put Benny Hinn on the map. Um, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, three separate individuals, one in essence, one in work, and one may add each of them possess his own spirit body. You don't like it? Yeah, he basically says that there um, are nine in the Trinity. And then here's the biggest statement that I thought was interesting, Kenneth Copeland said this. This is Kenneth Copeland. I was shocked when I found out who the biggest failure in the Bible actually is. The biggest one is God. I mean, he lost his top-ranking, most anointed angel, the first man he ever created, the first woman he ever created, the whole earth and all the fullness therein, a third of the angels at least, that's a big loss, man. Now, the reason you don't think of God as a failure is he never said he's a failure. Let me see. make sure I got the rest of the quote. And then he says this. I didn't get the rest of the quote here. And you're not a failure until you say you're one. And then God lives on a mother planet. He's a Christian. He claims to be a Christian? Oh, yeah. Yeah, his wife also believes, they also believe they can control the weather. His wife, Gloria Copeland, I saw her a video clip of her. Now, y'all know, I'm trying to imitate her. <laughs> y'all know that my husband can control the weather. When we fly in our private jet and we see a little downspout coming over there, he just says, in the name of Jesus, be gone. And that thing just goes right back up. Now, think about this for a moment. If he can control the weather and claims he can control the weather, where was he when Hurricane Katrina hit? Where was he when the tsunamis hit? Why wouldn't you out be doing things with that power to do good as opposed to controlling the weather in your private jet when you're flying around? And basically, these faith healer, faith word of faith people, make you feel guilty for not having the anointing that they do. It's almost like this kind of thing. Oh, I just feel sorry for you. If you can't control the weather like I can, you haven't quite arrived. Jesse Duplantis, he's the one I mentioned. Sunny morning. I was actually flipping through the channels one time, and and I used to. I don't do this at all because I can't stand it. But I used to for a period of time there, maybe 10, 15 years ago. I'd sit there and I'd be like, okay, I want to see what these heretics are saying. And then I was like, are you serious? Are you serious? Are you really saying this? And then like I would go tell Don. she's like, you got to stop watching this because your blood pressure is going to get. So anyway, I'm watching. I'm. <laughs> You remember those days, Don? She's like, you've got to just stop. I still have those days where I come in. I'm like, I, almost every day I come in, like a blog. I read, Can you believe this? And I'll just go in shaking my head. and I'm like, I'm just, yeah, she knows what I'm going through. Um, anyway. Um, and so Jesse Duplantis is up there, and he says, um, now, folks, he's like this Cajun guy. He's really funny. He tells a lot of funny stories. He's got this white slick back here. He's like, now, folks, I've just gotten to the point where I don't sin anymore. The devil comes up to me. I said, devil, you have no place here. <laughs> I just tell the devil to go away, and he goes away. I do not sin. And if you sin, I feel sorry for you because you got a problem. <laughs> I've got to the point where I don't sin, and you should also. What was that one clip he said where, um, oh, God was asking his opinion on something. Another, another video clip of, 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 of um, Jesse Duplantis. He's like, you know what I enjoy about God? God sometimes pulls me aside and asks my opinion on things. And the other day, God was asking my opinion on a thing. And he said, you know, I really want to try to save this guy. And I'm I'm just having a hard time saving him. Jesse, what do you think? Do you think we should give him another chance? Oh, yes, God, I can work on him. I can bring him to you. And so God asked my opinion of whether we're going to save this guy. Isn't it great that God gets my opinion on these things? Aren't you glad? (laughs) He's the same guy that got sucked up to heaven and wrote a book called Close Encounters of the God Kind. While he was shaving, he got sucked up to heaven, and he went to heaven and talked about what he saw, and basically he saw Jesus over by the river of life crying. And he went over and put his arms around Jesus and said, What's wrong, Jesus? And Jesus looked at Jesse and started crying, My people just don't get it. My people just don't get it. Will you go back and tell them? What do you want me to tell them, Jesus? And he comforted Jesus, and he made Jesus feel better because Jesus was feeling so bad. My people need to know I'm coming back. I'll go back and tell them, Jesus. I'll go back and tell them you're coming back. Well, that's great because we got 1 Thessalonians. that tells us he's coming back. We got Revelation. We don't need Jesse Plantis to go come back and tell us that Jesus is coming back. And we don't need Jesse Plantis to plant us up in heaven. I can't think about all the times that somebody in the Bible saw the resurrected Christ. Paul, when Paul saw the resurrected Christ, what did Paul do? He was blinded. When John saw the resurrected Christ on the island of Patmos in Revelation, he fell down as a dead man. And Jesus had to go put his hand on him and say, you know, get up. Anybody that's seen the resurrected Christ, usually if they're going to talk about it, they talk about it. They're a scripture writer. Even Paul. Was Paul allowed to go to heaven? Yes. Did he come back from heaven? Yes. Did he write a best-selling book about it? No. He said, I'm not even going to talk about it. So if Paul, who's the scripture writer, went to heaven and came back and said, I'm not even gonna talk about it. We need to be wary of books where little kids go to heaven and come back and talk about it. And that's for another topic altogether. So anyway, man, we've kinda of gone on a rant tonight. Um we got a few, we, we got a, what? We keep We keep os- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's it's been kind of a little yeah. Sorry. Um yeah. Any questions or comments or observations tonight? You do good yeah, You must practice a lot. I don't practice them. No, I just... um, I guess it's a gift. I guess I don't. Know. Any other questions? I just can't believe some of these televangelists how go on there. Ministry did, I mean, TBN, the tech, they've done a good thing. They brought the
2: word to the end of the world, you know. But then they'll go on there and they call themselves
1: gods and completely mm-hmm. try to steal the glory from God. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, and, and they don't hide this stuff, guys. You go listen, if you listen to them long enough and just go listen to some of their sermons and get some of their YouTube clips, they're not hiding this theology. It's not like it's like in a deep, dark corner where they're ashamed to talk about it, they're out in the open about it. They are out in the open about it. Creflo, so Do- what?
0: Satan's so having a field day.
1: Yeah. What are you going to say, now? Oh, go I ahead.
0: always tell this story because I think it's good to remember how the Holy Spirit actually works and how he actually uses this stuff. And I think it is good that you brought up a while back about how as a person grows and they become more discerning, they're probably not listening to Creflo Dollar all that much. You know? But you're right, because God has used them to bring mm-hmm. the the word to people, you know, and that's partly how I was saved was through because I grew up Catholic, you know this, you know, I grew up Catholic. there was nothing else but that, you know, and so turning on TBN, you heard somebody preach God's Word, and you never heard that in the Catholic Church. So it pricked your ears, at least mine and the people I know that have experienced that your ears get pricked to that and suddenly want to hear it and I think the Holy Spirit uses it to bring you to an understanding of of Christ and salvation and all that and then because I remember after I was saved I would watch because that's what was there you know and when you're hungry for that and you don't have a pastor necessarily you're new to that and you don't have anyone to pour into your life what do you, you're looking for anything that's going to feed your feed your hungry heart and i just remember coming home after school and turning on it was tbn or something and there was this um, show that was on fire by night i think it was called and yeah it was charismatic and everything but it fed me for a while long enough to get me to where then, now i'm right reading in my bible on my own and i have a church and i have a pastor to pour into my heart and to my life, and then I can see, you know, the Holy Spirit can give me discernment into that's not necessarily scriptural, but he still used it, and if it's going all over the world, you know, yes, it's bad that it's, it is, I think, stirring up things, but that's not the true church. I think somewhere in there, the true church is being, not, is... (sighs) There's probably people in the true church all over the whole world that came to to faith through that because that's what they had access to. But it doesn't mean they're going to be stuck in
1: it. Right, that's a good point. If God has his elect scattered throughout the world, can he not call his elect out of Mormonism, out of Hinduism, out of word faith? Yes. Does that mean that once they're called to faith that they don't stay in that for a while because they're baby Christians? No, it could mean they stay in that for a while until... They get discipled, and then they realize, oh, wait a minute. What I'm in is either a cult or what I'm in is wrong. And then they find a Bible-believing church. My fear is, number one, shame on the guys that are doing it because they know exactly what they're doing. I don't blame the people as much because they're baby Christians. The guys that are do- and women that are doing it, they're the ones that are going to have the millstone hung around their neck. Um, for you know jesus says if you lead one of these ones astray it's like having a millstone and and jesus also says those that are teachers are going to be strictly judged greater and also jude says there's a place of blackest darkness for false teachers Um, and so um, any type of belief system that somebody gets saved in it may take a while for them to get discipled out of that and that's the hope is that they do and they don't stay in that for long phil you were going to say something
2: One of the questions that he had for me was, well, you've got all these unreached people, you know, how is everybody going to find out about God, and, and, you know, when I said, well, you know, that I believed in the Bible, and the Bible, you know, is the true word of God, he's like, so what you're saying is that if you don't read the Bible, then, you know, you're not getting the truth, and you don't have the truth, and... It was very hard for me to respond to that at that time, because I didn't, you know, it's like, you know, he's like, so the King James Version is the only version. And, you know, so what did people have before then, you know, before the King James Version was written? And um, when you brought up there that the Holy Spirit would give you the word at that moment in now, the, the verse that came into my mind is, is I was like, you know, And I just asked him, I was like, do you believe that God is the creator? And he went, yes. I was like, so do you believe that God can do anything at any time, anywhere? He's like, yes. And I was like, so in the Bible when it says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, how do you feel about that? And he was like, okay. And I was like, so it doesn't matter whether or not right now that's why we have missionaries to go out and reach people that don't have the Bible, so that we can get the Bible into their language, into their, into their houses, into their homes. And I was like, that's what missionaries are doing, and that's what Christ told us to do in Acts. And uh, he was like, he was like, okay. And I was like, and at the time, I was like, there will be a time when every knee will bow. And he's like oh, okay, and I was like, so, it doesn't, and I may be saying this wrong, but I was like, right now, it doesn't matter that, you know, if I have a King James Version or not. That part doesn't matter. The part is, is this is the Word of God. It came from, passed down through ages and ages and ages. You know, it got written in the King James. Great, that's one language that that it's written in, but
1: it's still the word of God. Mm -hmm. Was I right in that? -hmm. Was I wrong in that? um, I don't think you're wrong. Um, I I think that I don't know if there's a. I think what you said had a lot of wisdom because you took him to creation, and you took him to God's sovereignty, and you took him to the written word, um, and you told him, you know, I think you made him think. So I don't think you did anything. necessarily wrong there Um, one thing i would follow up with is that um when it says every knee will bow and every tongue confess that does not mean universalism to where everybody on the planet is going to be a christian no it it it, it just means that one day everybody's going to acknowledge the lordship of christ and some in hell are going to they're going to do it but they're still going to be in hell um so it's not universalism um Right, okay at that point. But what it means is that everybody's everybody doing, is going yeah. to acknowledge yeah.
2: who Christ yeah. is and who God yeah. is. And you know, they they rejected it yeah. long ago, and they're gonna see mm-hmm. the error of their way mm-hmm. because
1: they yeah, there's, see who Christ is. You know, is. this is this, this is a totally different subject, but I can bring it up here in the last five minutes. Um and maybe this is something we need to talk about um, after. Maybe we do this as a different thing. There are two things that people struggle with when people ask them questions, okay? And there's two, there's two ways you can answer. One school of thought is called apologetics and the other is evangelism. What's the difference between apologetics and evangelism? Apologetics tends to answer the objections that people have to Christianity, objections they have to the historicity of the Bible, to creation, um, to why is there evil and suffering in the world, and so there's all those deep questions that people ask. And then, so apologetics is how do I answer people's deep questions about things? Okay. The problem is most of most people aren't skilled in apologetics. Anybody here feel like they're skilled in that? Okay. So let me ask you a very important question: Does a person get saved by apologetics, or do they get saved by the gospel? the gospel so if you have a choice between man i have to i have to answer all their crazy objections and i'm just going to tell them the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ his lordship and the call to repent and believe god promises the gospel to be the power of god into salvation so it takes the pressure off you to say you know what i may not be able to answer all these questions over here but one thing i can do is i can tell them the gospel And that's the one thing I know God is going to use to bring about the faith of someone. doesn't mean you never do apologetics, but if you had the choice, if I had to stand up today in an audience that I didn't know, and it was like like I was at NJC or I was at a college and they gave me 20 minutes, said you can talk about whatever you want, I would not talk about apologetics, I would not talk about creationism, I would not talk about evolution, I wouldn't talk about any of that stuff. I would spend 20 minutes presenting the gospel. And the reason why is because it's the power of God and the salvation of all who believe. Now, if they want to come up afterwards and deal with apologetics, yes. I want to take the pressure off you guys to realize that you don't have to give all the answers. Yeah, you have to give a defense for the hope that you have. But I would rather you guys be strong in the gospel because that's what you can share. And maybe sharpen up on apologetics. But I think sometimes Christians get so worried that they're going to be asked a question that they can't answer. And we're afraid that if we don't answer it, then we're going to look stupid or somehow somehow we're going to mess up God's plan and we're not going to make God look good. I'd like you to condemn that person if we don't... You know, yeah. It's like we condemn their faith if we don't give them... Okay, yeah, we The answer the fa- that God wants them that would bring them to his kingdom. Yeah, yeah, or we, think, we think, man, if I don't answer this right, then they're not going to get saved and I've blown it forever and I've misrepresented what I believe and, man, I've really blown it. Well, guess what? Who saves a person? God. And if God can speak through a donkey...
0: <laughs>
1: he can sure speak through us in, in amazing ways that we would never even imagine because if we're just clear with the gospel, God uses that. Um, so um, it, it's kind of a an roundabout answer. To your, to, I think you did fine, Phil, but I think sometimes we as Christians get so, what am I going to say, that what you can say is, you know what, those are great questions, but let me tell you the good news here's the good news, and then just go right into the gospel. Or here's the bad news, you're a sinner, and here's why you need the gospel.